James Howell, a Methodist pastor, tells a story from when he was newly ordained and living in a parsonage next to the church building. He answered a knock at the door one day to find a lady there, smiling broadly. Is that the Methodist church, she asked. Yes, it is, he said. Is this the parsonage, she asked. Yes, ma'am, it is. Well, I really need to speak to the minister. Is your father home? Oy. Sometimes the assumptions that people make, um, but I'm getting ahead of myself. It, it turned out that she was asking James, now recognized as the pastor after some awkward moments, to advertise an event at the church in the next town over. It's going to be so exciting, she said. The Holy Spirit is going to be there. I want your people to come at 11 on Sunday morning. But we worship at 11 on Sunday morning, James said. Oh, this is different, she said. The Holy Spirit will really be over there with us. (laughs) If there was ever a time for the double facepalm, that would be it. But it does bring up an important point. When we say, may the Holy Spirit be with you, or Cousin Robin is filled with the Spirit, or even when we pass the peace to one another, saying the peace of Christ be with you, are we tacitly saying that the Spirit can only be with one person at a time? Are we handing out little pieces of peace to each other? Here's one for you, one for you. Surely not. But I think we act that way at times, that peace is a limited commodity and there's only so much to go around. It's important on this Sunday, Pentecost, that we remember that the Spirit is not limited. You'll often hear people say that this is the celebration of the Spirit descending, as though the Spirit came among humans just that one time and then popped back out again just to see what we would do the so-called shy person of the Trinity. Except that the Bible is full of the Spirit at work, and we can see the Spirit at work in the world today, too. The first mention of the Holy Spirit in the Bible, appropriately, is in Genesis chapter 1. And the breath of God hovered over the waters. Remember that in Hebrew and Greek, the word spirit and the word breath are the same word, ruach, in Hebrew, and penuma in Greek, if you're one of those that likes to hear how words sound in other languages. In the famous story of Ezekiel and the dry bones, we see this breath of God, this Holy Spirit, being breathed in by dead bones, who then get up and move around being fully alive in the Spirit. In the New Testament, even after the Pentecost story that we read this morning, we see Paul describing the Spirit as bearing the unspeakable to the indescribable, and that the groaning of creation and ourselves as part of creation are all heard by the Spirit who is right there in the midst of rebirthing us. If you come to the church today and take nothing else away from this service, Take this, this message. The Holy Spirit is not shy, but is constantly active as your companion and guide. We talked about the companion last week. 
I'm not going into that a lot today, but take that message with you. The Holy Spirit is active with you in the world even now. If that's the case, then why do we do this whole Pentecost thing? Why do we decorate with red flames? Why do we have banners hung up and cakes that we eat after service? What is this whole thing about? If it's not the only time that the Spirit is active, what are we actually celebrating? Well, Pentecost comes from the Greek for 50 days, Pentecoste, and was the Greek name for the Hebrew Festival of Weeks. Maybe you've heard of that in your studies of the Hebrew Bible, the Festival of Weeks or Shavuot. The Festival of Weeks is celebrated 50 days after Passover. It's a time for celebrating the first fruits of the year and the giving of the commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai. This is why the disciples are gathered together in Jerusalem 50 days after Passover and why there are so many people from around the world gathered there in the Acts 2 story. It happened to be that this festival fell at the time of year that it was easiest to travel in the ancient world, and so you got a lot of travelers because it was easy to do so. Now, in the Christian tradition, this festival of 50 days became 50 days after Easter Sunday, the celebration of the formation of the church. Protestants, like us, tend to decorate in red and play up the joy of the Spirit with a birthday party for the church. Pious Catholics are encouraged to fast the night before Pentecost and celebrate three feast days afterwards while the Orthodox Church is expressly forbidden from fasting for seven full days. You may not fast in the Orthodox Church. It must be a feast for a week over Pentecost. Pentecost, then, is simply a celebration of the Holy Spirit and wonderfully a celebration of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Trinity that represents how God works in ways that surprise and inspire Here's something else. Since the word for spirit and the word for wisdom are both feminine in Hebrew, the Holy Spirit is often lifted up as evidence of the wisdom of God containing both feminine and masculine elements. Though I think that's a sermon for another week. I'm not going there today. In the Acts story of the first Christian Pentecost, the Spirit descends like tongues of fire, and the disciples start speaking in the languages of everyone gathered for the festival of Shavuot, telling the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. As a language nerd, I find it awesome that there's a pun in this passage that works in Greek and it works in English, too. Tongues of fire descended and the disciples began to speak in other tongues. Tongues being this multiple word. Everyone gathered around them hears prophesizing in their own language, the language of their heart. The spirit who has always been with them is revealing God in a new way giving the disciples the right words to speak. Can you picture what this would have been like? These people gathered from all over the ancient world who spoke multiple languages were hearing their own language in the midst of the chaos and confusion. It had to be very, very disorienting to hear a cacophony of sound and yet to also hear and know what was being said. 
Let me give you an example of this. When I lived in Jakarta, Indonesia, the main language spoken around me was Bahasa Indonesia, except at home and at school, where English ruled the day. For the first few months, I had trouble discerning even where one word ended and the next one began when people were speaking to me in Bahasa. It wasn't even a matter of not understanding what they were saying. It was, I couldn't even tell where the words were in what they were saying to me. But I did learn enough to be able to say, Saya Bacara Bahasa Indonesia Sedikit Saja, which means I speak Indonesian only a little bit. Then, if Bahasa Indonesia wasn't enough, most people there spoke three or four languages, and there were other public languages. The Arabic of the calls to prayer from the mosques. The tribal languages, like Javanese, where I was. That, and only after all of those three was there a possibility that maybe there would be English somewhere fourth or fifth in line. But if I were walking at the mall, or in the safari park, or anywhere else, really. Just hearing a word or two of English was a comfort to my soul. Not because English is anything particularly special, you understand, but because it was my language, the language of my heart, and here I was, hearing it in the world in a place I didn't expect to. I often think of this when I hear other languages spoken here in America. For someone, that language is a comfort to their soul, just hearing it spoken. For the people who were at that very special Pentecost, it was even more than simple comfort. It was a direct link to fill them with exuberance and joy. Hearing these words in their own languages made God feel present in a new way. God felt newly there among them. Now, whenever we read scripture in the church, we pray a special prayer first. Maybe you've noticed this. We have a prayer for illumination that comes every Sunday before we read scripture together. We ask God to present the scripture in new light, in God's own light. We are asking to hear the scriptures like the folks gathered at this first Pentecost, to hear the scriptures with our hearts. We are asking for the Spirit to inspire us, to literally breathe life into us, the opposite of expire or breathe out of, in this case, breathe out of life. When we say that the Bible is inspired by God, we mean that God breathes on the Scripture, on the writers of Scripture, and on us. That God makes it appear new to us, to hear an old message in a new way. For what happens, what happens when you breathe on Scripture? The pages move. When God breathes on us, we too ought to move. Life, all life, can be seen as God's breath, God's spirit moving in the world from the tiniest bacterium to the great whales of the sea, from the smallest child born at Bethlehem to the great Caesars of Rome. 
From the smallest church session to the world council of churches, God's breath moves them all. And God's breath, the spirit of truth, as John describes it, reveals the world to us like we've never seen it before. A world in which you matter, where your life matters. For through you, the world sees God moving. Through you, the spirit is really there. And newly there, too. May the Holy Spirit walk beside you in joy and sorrow, holding you close and giving you space as needed. May the Spirit of God inspire you to study God's Word alone and with your church family. May the Spirit of Christ call you to take courage in following the way of Jesus, to prayer and action in the world, to bring God's justice, freedom, and peace. Amen.